is going on, everybody? Welcome to A Theology of Hustle. I'm your host, Curry Blanford, and today I'm talking to Dr. Alan Bandy. So uh, Alan is the author of An Illustrated Guide to the Apostle Paul, His Life, Ministry, and Missionary Journeys, and it is a awesome book, y'all. I think we have these things about Paul that we know about Paul's life that we think that we understand about Paul, but this book is just such a deep dive into Paul's actual wor- world. And as you know, somebody who wrote a bulk of the New Testament, uh, understanding that world is really important to how we understand interpretation and theology and, and all of those things. And so we dig into Paul in this episode, which is super fun. Uh, we get into sort of the cultural backgrounds of like how he lived, where he was from and, and some of that. But I think one of the most, most important things we talk about is just Paul's view of work in this episode. And I think you're really going to get a lot out of how Alan talks about uh, Paul's view of work, what work meant to Paul. And, uh, yeah, we, we dig into it. So I think you're going to get a ton out of this episode, uh, about Paul's life, but also how you can be a better interpreter of scripture. So, uh, before we get to the interview, I just want to remind you to make sure you're following me on Instagram and Facebook at theology of hustle and on Twitter at Curry Blanford, just to stay up to date with everything we got going on. So I hope you really enjoy hearing from Alan. Uh, well, Alan, thanks so much for uh, making time for me and coming on the podcast. It's, it's nice to chat. Yeah, very much. Thank you for having me and looking forward to our conversation. I love it. Let's uh, let's just jump off and maybe have you kind of introduce yourself uh, to everybody a little bit. Okay. Well, my name is Alan Bandy. Uh, I teach New Testament and Greek at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm also the associate dean of our uh, PhD programs here. Okay. And um, prior to that, I was at Oklahoma Baptist University and uh, was there for 11 years and then um, Southeastern uh, before that, Southeastern Seminary, North Carolina. And so, um, you know, I've been teaching, uh, my area of expertise is the book of Revelation. And I've always had an interest in the seven churches of Asia Minor in Hmm. Turkey. So starting probably about 10 years ago, I started taking groups to Turkey. And um, we we toured the seven churches, Patmos. uh, But over the years, I tried to include other destinations. So like Tarsus, Antioch, uh, Cappadocia, the cities of Galatia. And it was really kind of, through those tours, you know, the world of the New Testament really came to life in a way. I mean, I've been to Israel and it's, it's amazing. Um, but uh, Turkey, I feel like, is a long lost um, relic of the world of the New Testament that doesn't get as much attention. Um, and, and, it was, and, and teaching at um, Oklahoma Baptist, one of the classes I taught was Life and Literature of Paul. And so during those years, I was kind of fleshing out a chronology of Paul's life Um, and then going to the sites where Paul did a lot of his ministries. uh, The two just came together a few years Mm -hmm. ago for me. And I thought, you know what, I want to I want to kind of bring what I've discovered uh, to others. And so that's kind of my background, my interests. So primarily Book of Revelation, but uh, also Paul, um, Paul's life. Uh, in particular, uh, especially related to the book of Acts. Oh man, that sounds so cool. Like that is like a dream trip for me. Some I've never been able to get over to like Israel and Turkey and all that mm-hmm. stuff. That's like, 
so cool. I just feel like the, yeah, like you said, it would just come alive. Like the whole story of the, of the new Testament. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the things that makes Turkey so exciting is they really have well-preserved ruins and um, there's so many sites there of biblical significance, um, not just for the new Testament, but even for the old Testament. Mm. Um, so when you go it, it, in many ways is like stepping back 2000 years ago. Um, even though it's all in ruins, they're, they're so well-preserved, you can really get a sense for the scope, the size, yeah. the artwork. Um, and, 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 and the reason why I favor Turkey over Israel is Israel, of course, is, is the Holy Land, and it's so significant. But every significant site has a giant church built on top of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, you know, this is really cool. This is a neat, neat location. But but it it loses something of that authenticity that that you you don't get in in Turkey because it's it's all I mean that you do get in Turkey that because it's all there yeah yeah isn't it mind boggling that you can have ruins from like two thousand plus years ago like we in our context in America it's like you know two hundred and fifty years is a long time right like yeah. well it's from the eighteen hundreds that's crazy you know and like know, right. Gosh, just mind-boggling. Yeah, definitely changes your perspective on time and history it, yeah. and antiquity, right? Because, yeah, you know, when I lived in Oklahoma, it was, uh, I mean, only a state for about 100 years. Yeah. So all the historical markers are really about 100 years old at, or most. Uh, New Orleans is 300 years old, so there's a little bit more of a, a, a history. But then you go to Turkey, and, and you really almost have to ask the question, because they have sites that go back. Uh, 10,000 years. It's mind-boggling. <laughs> it's mind-boggling. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And even like you, you talk about culture, and I know we're going to get into a lot of culture. I'm really interested in that sort of stuff. But like, talk about New Orleans, right? It's it's yeah. uh, 300 years old, but like so such a Cajun influence, that French uh, Cajun influence, right? And like even bleeds into like parts of Texas. I have a friend who's from like Southern Texas and right, yeah. like where I grew up in Texas and where he grew up in Texas could not be more different places. Right. But right. we're talking 300 years of culture, not 10,000 years of culture, right? right. And like the, the scope and the scale is just so different. You know? Yeah, yeah, it definitely has. Um, uh, I've learned a lot more about archaeology and um ancient history than I ever uh, anticipated really learning. Yeah. Uh, in fact, now when I go, I begin to point out different structures and talk about the style and certain aspects. And, you know, it just goes from, you know, I go, I see it, I, I learn about it, I, I buy a bunch of books and just continue to read. It's become uh, quite a passion in, in life. And uh, I try to go every year uh, with the pandemic that kind of ruined some things. Sure. Um, but, uh, every other year at least. And so this summer I spent three years, uh, three, three years, <laughs> uh, three weeks in Turkey. Wow. And, uh, it was just a wonderful experience. That's cool. Uh, there's a place, uh, I'm, I'm outside of Chicago. So there's a, mm -hmm. the university of Chicago has a place called the Oriental Institute, yes. which, uh, is, is as close as I've gotten to yeah, most yeah, of that yeah. stuff, right. you know, yeah, uh, God, just incredible. Yeah. Incredible yeah. stuff. So, um, can we walk through a little bit of your story before we get into, into sure, Paul, sure. like what led you into sort of higher, you know, Christian higher education? What, yeah. How did all that go down for you? Yeah. 
Well, I'll go um, back to my teenage years uh, momentarily. Um, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area, and I was, um, I was uh, for lack of a better term, unchurched. Um, I often say we were CEO Christians. We went to church on Christmas, Easter, and occasionally some other times. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and, and so I grew up um, uh, with lots of different influences in a multicultural environment, but I was, I was somewhat of a rebel. So I was a punk rocker. Um, I had nice. a, a, a purple mohawk, safety pin in my ear, <laughs> uh, wore spikes, you know, uh, and, and um, was, was got involved in drugs, alcohol, partying. I was kind of wild. Also, religiously, I got into kind of Eastern mysticism and witchcraft and mm-hmm. some other things. Became a believer when I was 17 years old, and God just radically um, reorganized my life. Hmm. And um, shortly after, I was about 18, I, I sensed a call to go into ministry. So during school, and I was diagnosed with a learning disability when I was in elementary school, so I never cared about school. I never, I was, I was high most of the time when I was there, because I skipped a lot. Um, but when I went to, to college to prepare for ministry, I, I fell in love with academics. Um, I loved learning. And there were people there that were just pouring into my life and influencing mm-hmm. me and helping me think and learn and grow. Um, and I would, I would turn in a paper and a professor would pull me aside afterward and say, you know, you need to go farther. You know, you need to get a PhD. And, and nobody ever talked like that to me before. So I just continued that path. And um, I kind of want to be a perpetual student for the rest of my life and never stop learning and growing. Um, and, and, and because so many people uh, poured so much influence into my life, I'd like to be that small little bit of influence in others uh, and to be able to help open their minds to, you know, uh, the things that that scholarship and and good biblical studies can teach, um, but also to learn how to see the world around them as a big place and to think contextually about scripture, but also about culture and how those two intersect. Hmm. So that's, that's kind of my story. Um, (laughs) That's cool. Yeah. I love that. Like your profession, uh, you know, has a background for you, right? So you were changed through higher education and now in higher education, you get to sort of like keep that legacy going. And uh, I think that's uh, pretty cool. It's cool to see how God shapes that story. Like if you had told me, uh, I would have never believed that you were a punk rocker now, you know what I mean? And like, yeah, it's just cool how God shapes those stories and like takes us and on our journeys. And yeah, it's pretty cool. It reminds me a lot of Paul, actually, uh, you know, just with the, the conversion experience yeah. and, you know, yeah. uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. Cause in a lot of ways that the, uh, Paul's story is, is, is that story of God's life change and of, of, you know, putting you in a position to like really change people's lives. So, well, yeah, you know, and, and even on writing this book, I, I could not help, but identify with Paul, not that I'm anywhere close to the man he was. Um, but I could see that sense where um, even Paul in Galatians says that from my mother's womb, 
um, he set me apart to do this. Yeah. And, and I can look back and see how even, even when I was wildly astray and atheist and all these other things that God was already shaping my life for the purposes mm -hmm. that he's called me to. And, and that's just a wonderful privilege, um, completely undeserved, but yeah, so I could see that mirrored. Now, Paul was a very different person with a, you know, very different life story, but that, that, that process, which God transforms an individual to use them yeah. and all the things that they've gone through goes into what God has prepared for them and makes them the most uh, usable instrument for that given task. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I, I saw a lot of parallels, um, at least in terms of that transformation process. Do you mind unpacking, uh, like kind of in hindsight, how you saw, uh, God's work, even, you know, pre kind of conversion, uh, for, for the future? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and this is something I, I tried to connect with Paul as well, growing up in Tarsus. So yeah. as I mentioned, I grew up in the Washington DC area which is a very, um, you know, the whole area has about 6 million in population, um, but it's also an incredibly international uh, sure. place. Uh, so I grew up in my elementary school and, and junior high and high school. Uh, a lot of my friends were the children of ambassadors from other countries. Mm. And, and so in elementary school, I remember realizing one day that I am the only white non Jewish person in my circle of friends. Uh, I had friends from South America, from Asia, from Europe. Um, and, and, and that kind of diversity, because we were just all kids on the playground. Yeah. Um, it, it helped me understand that, that, that there's different customs, there's different languages, there's different ways that people interact, but they're still people. And that has significantly influenced my ongoing ministry today, because, um, you know, as a believer, I see the call of the Great Commission to be a multinational, you know, yeah. um, the kingdom of God is not defined by geographic boundary lines and political alliance. It's, it's, it's all about submission to the Lordship of Christ. So, you know, I try to go not just to tours in Turkey and, and other places, but um, I've, I've gone down to the Amazon rainforest um, and, and for about, about, uh, about seven or eight years, uh, deep in the jungle, working with tribal groups. That's and cool. uh, I've tried to go so many different places. One of the last places I've been was, was Greece, working with uh, refugees hmm. um, from Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq. And it was probably one of the most heart-rending, eye-opening experiences I've ever had. So that kind of broad cultural experience I had growing up, uh, even with, with all of the, uh, the bad stuff in there, really kind of, I, I can look back and I draw on it regularly. Uh, even the experience of being somewhat of an unchurched outsider, um, because going into church, there's a certain <laughs> language and culture yeah. and especially people who've grown up with it and sometimes they're not able to really connect with other people who are different yeah. uh who are not churchgoers 
Um, I often feel like an outsider in church culture, and I'm thankful for that because I know what it is to hurt. I know what it is to be mistreated. I know what it is to know that I'm missing something, um, but not sure where the answers are. So all of those things have gone into, you know, just my my ministry and, and my life. Um, so that's why I say, you know, I can look back and see God's fingerprints all over these, these key moments in my, yeah. my development. That's cool. Even to just have the hindsight. Yeah. It's cool to see the, yeah. The, yeah. That's cool. I love the hindsight, you know, it's just like, oh, I can see where God was doing that. And like, he, he crafted these skills that I could not have gained otherwise, you know, yes. in like the most random way, you know, right. that you could think yeah. of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, I think that's a great segue into Paul and talking about maybe even Tarsus. I feel like this is a, a part of Paul's life that, you know, we, we read the missionary journeys, right. in acts and all that stuff. And which is super fascinating, but like even the background of Paul, can you just dig into a little bit of where Paul's from and the cultural backgrounds? Absolutely. Cause Paul makes several statements throughout his letters. And even in the book of acts where he's from Tarsus, like that was something that he wanted people to know about him. Now within scholarship and um, my my initial draft included the scholarly discussions, but the final draft, I left a lot of that out just to make it a smoother read. And it was, it was very, I will say, I I really enjoyed how easy it was to read and the pictures. Well, thank that was, you. That was cool. Yeah. That was really cool. <laughs> thank you. Um, but, but, but the debate is, well, to what influence did Tarsus have on Paul's life? Yeah. Um, so, so there are those scholars that argue that his parents, the moment he was uh, born, moved back to Jerusalem so he would have a thoroughly Jewish upbringing. Okay. Um, I don't believe that. Now, there's a number of reasons. One, um, he clearly identifies with Tarsus. Yeah. Uh, two, the the beginning um, kind of rabbinic training for a boy begins around the age of 13. So he wouldn't have had to move to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel until he was a preteen, you know, or right. so, which would have meant he would have had an entire childhood experience there. Um, the main reason I would argue that I think he, he grew up in Tarsus was the fact that he, he, he has a mastery of Greek language. Um, he knows it like someone who grew up reading it and speaking right. it, yeah. right? So, um, and, 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 and even when uh, in, in the Areopagus or Mars Hill, yeah. he's quoting a philosopher who is from Tarsus. Um, so I think he had an early education there. One of the interesting things about Tarsus, um, it was of the province of uh, Cilicia, in the Roman province. There in kind of uh, the southern part of, of Turkey, right near Antioch, uh, not mm. too far from what would have been Syria, where Antioch was. Um, but but uh, it was a cultural center. Mm. Um, it was the capital of that province. And uh, such people as uh, Julius Caesar and Mark Anthony and uh, even the Roman Senator Cicero all visited there and spent time there. And it was known as a center of philosophy, like Athens. But the difference was uh, when, when people left Tarsus to study philosophy in Athens, they never went back. 
Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So it was more of a homegrown uh, school of philosophy, a very developed city, like most of the cities in that area. But um, it would have been a place where if Paul grew up there and had some early education there, would have been interacting as as a diaspora Jew, right? So circumcised the eighth day, right? Mm -hmm. Um, His family were devout. They practice their Jewish faith um, there in Tarsus. Um, so he would have known his identity was bound up as being um, a, a, a Jew, a Hebrew, um, practicing, but he was living in a diverse, multicultural, pagan environment. Yeah. And I don't think they, you know, shielded themselves entirely. They had to interact for business, for life. Um, while a lot of his education would have been at home with his family, um, there's, there's plenty of evidence to show that, that young children, uh, young boys in particular would go through some education. Um, so he would have learned to read and write and, and, and Greek. He would have learned rhetoric, um, some of the basic educational, uh, program that that would have been in the, the, the school system school systems like there, there was a thing um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and however they did it right right, right. <laughs> and you I think you can see that in his ministry hmm. because Paul was able to navigate that very uncomfortable and awkward world of different religions and cultures and languages and where most people um, especially uh, Jewish people, we're very much like kind of inclusive. It's us and them. Right. Paul was like out in the middle of the marketplace, interacting. Yeah. And engaging. And it wasn't like all oh, this is bad. It was Jesus is risen, you know. Yeah. And and he had a message that even once they became to faith, once they came to faith, they're now one family. They're brothers and sisters co-equal members in the people of God, regardless of Jew, Gentile, you know, barbarian, whatever, you know, um, that they were bound together by a common faith in Christ that I think he was unique in that. I mean, I think the early church as a whole was unique in that, but I think that was, that was the primary thrust of Paul's mission. So I really see his development in Tarsus and the influences and, and the, the things he experienced there as, as a boy. And then later he went back as an adult and lived for a number of years. Um, I think uniquely fitted him to be able to take the gospel into so many different diverse places uh, throughout the Roman Empire. Yeah. That's cool. I, I love that. I love the, the background of Tarsus, right? And I think even just understanding that speaks to, for me, one of the complications maybe for understand like New Testament interpretation, because you do have this Hebrew background, right? And we're having to like understand the Hebrew world in, under, in order to understand the New Testament. But we also have a significant Greek background here, right? And we have to understand this Greek background in order to understand the New Testament. And because Paul was raised in the Greek world and then trained, you know, specifically in the, the Jewish world, you know, as a scholar, yeah. Yeah. he has both of those things and can navigate those. That's so, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah. You know? I, I think Paul is a, a bridge builder. 
yeah in that sense and you know where <laughs> 2000 years later as 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 human beings we still tend to group together with like people right and you still see the challenges of multiculturalism when you have different cultures coming together they don't always mix well sure there's a lot of hostility a lot of division a lot of uh, challenges there and i think paul demonstrates for us how to bridge those gaps hmm. um, because we're, we're all made in the image of god and and so we're all human beings despite our difference amen yeah i think that's an important such an important yeah that's yeah. good uh <laughs> okay so so we talked about the greek uh, mm-hmm. side of this thing. Can you talk about uh, maybe Paul's, you know, Jewish backgrounds and sort of becoming a Pharisee and what all that sort of means? Yeah. And, and at one point in Acts, in one of the speeches, he says he's the son of a Pharisee. Now, the question is whether his dad was a Pharisee or he means it more idiomatically, like I'm a son of the Pharisees, you sure, know, sure. Yeah. Um, I'm the, the product. Uh, I think it's likely that he he means his father, but it's it's hard to tell. Um, but he went, and obviously his his family were devout, so that whether they moved to to Jerusalem with him or sent him to Jerusalem, uh, he studied under the leading rabbi. I mean, the renowned Gamaliel, yeah. who um, in the Mishnah says when Rabban Gamaliel died so did the interpretation of the law and righteousness die with them. Wow. You know, that's what I want on my tombstone. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, So in other words, he was a revered um, scholar of his day. He was from the school of uh, Hillel, a grandson of Rabbi Hillel. Um, So Paul got uh, the, the, top of the line rabbinic education yeah um as a pharisee uh it was a more conservative um part of the 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 jewish sect of of the first century the sadducees were political they controlled the temple um denied most of the scriptures afterlife angels right pharisees tended to be a little bit more in the conservative side they affirmed the law, also the oral law, and um, the resurrection, and so forth. And so he was he was a member, and it was the popular party, right? There was more Pharisees than any other, middle class, um, and 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 I think Paul, in his in his youth, uh, was zealous, and he uses that language to describe himself. Um, and I think he his uh, his zealousy was like like most young <laughs> young people studying right. You learn a new idea, you passionate, you know, yep. you want to you you want to kill all the heretics. <laughs> you, <laughs> right, you, know, right. you want everybody to know that the, the way you see it is the only way to see it. Right. Um, and you can see that contrast between Paul and Gamaliel in the Book of Acts because Paul is out there trying to kill and capture Christians. And when Gamaliel weighs in on what to do with these apostles, he says, you know, listen, there was this guy that rose up. He died. His followers dispersed. Another guy rose up. 
now now this Jesus and he's been killed and and his followers are rising up, but you know they're going to disperse. And if they're not right, you may find yourself fighting against God. Yeah. He had this like mature kind of almost live and let live. Um, you know, let's just see how this plays out. Where Paul's like, no, let's go kill him. Right. right. <laughs> and so Gamaliel, and he was just revered by everybody. Um, and, and I think Paul looks back to that, especially later in life, and sees his misguided zealousy in the persecution of the church and really laments that. Um, and, and one of the differences I would, I would say between, say, my conversion story and Paul's is that, you know, I was clearly lost and godless. And um, Paul, on the other hand, was very moral, very godly. You know, he says of himself, according to the righteousness that is by the law, blameless. Hmm. So I don't think Paul was searching for answers. I don't think he made a mess of his life. And, and suddenly, you know, he realizes, oh, I'm, you know, I think he felt pretty good about himself. Hmm. And, and I think he felt like he was serving God with all his heart. Um, but it was just misguided. And so I think the Damascus Road experience set him straight. I don't think he ever ceased to be Jewish. And I think that influence of who he is as a Jew um, plays throughout the rest of his life and theology. Yeah. Right. But, but what, what's most significantly different is, well, now the Gentiles are included. Right. So the question of who are the people of God, who are the chosen people of God, was no longer limited to one's ethnicity and religious heritage, but by one's faith in Jesus the Messiah. And so Paul had a much broader understanding, and then, therefore, if they're Gentiles, well, they don't need to become Jewish. They don't need to follow the law, right? They don't need to be circumcised and follow the dietary law. But I think Paul understood Jewish people are going to live the way that Jewish people do. And, you know, various times throughout his, his missionary journeys, you know, he shaves his head as part of, uh, it was a Jewish custom, as part of a vow he made. Uh, he's, he's, he goes to the temple to pay for the sacrifices. And so, I mean, Paul didn't say, oh, I'm no longer Jewish, I'm now a Christian. Right. Paul was, was inherently Jewish, but I think he understood what it means to be a true Jew is to be in a covenant relationship with God. Hmm. Yeah. And that now is only through faith in Christ. Yeah. Well, I mean, you talk about culture and history, right? I mean, how long had the Jewish people been doing Jewish customs? Thousands of years, right? Right, right. How how would you expect them just to like throw all that off, right? And no longer do those things. Yeah, right. Yeah. And you see a lot of that controversy, right? In the Jerusalem council and like Paul is like in the midst of all of that stuff. Yeah, I think that was the, the number one issue of the earliest church was what do you do with these gentiles Um, should they be circumcised should they become jewish or not and that's a tough one because when you read the old testament it's clear i mean god says to abraham listen the sign of my covenant with you is circumcision and if anybody is not circumcised then they are cut off from me right and and so this was a significant change um and, and I think Paul understood it um, rightly in the sense that 
because Christ died for all, because he implemented a new covenant, because of the gift of the Holy Spirit given equally to both Jews and Gentile, that, that it would be putting an unnecessary burden um, and it would be diluting and polluting the gospel message that, that what Christ has done is so sufficient and comprehensive, you do not need to add anything to it. Right. Um, and and that, that's, once again, that was a very cultural divide because, you know, um, that is, it's, it's tied into identity. Yeah, it's tied into well. This is the way that we've always followed God. This is this is the way that we practice. This is the way we've kept ourselves clean. Um, and and now you have a, a bunch of dirty pagans, right? Yeah. <laughs> who have entered into your group, and what do we do with them? Well, right. they got to look like us. They got to act like us. They got to practice like us. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. They got to be holy and follow Christ, but they do not have to do uh, the requirements of the Mosaic law because there's a new covenant and a final sacrifice that has been implemented. Yeah. So it was, it was a a tumultuous time for the early church in that regard. Yeah. And I think that actually probably helps a little bit to like, know how tumultuous it was. Right. It's not like it was just rainbows and sunshine. And like, you know, I mean, in addition to being persecuted by the state, especially, you know, getting closer to the uh, end of the first century, right. There's still, there's infighting going on as well. Right. And like Paul's in the midst of that, navigating all that, even with the people wanting to keep Jewish customs, like the Judaizers in certain churches and, you know, right. right? It's just like, yeah, Yeah. there's a lot going on. And, and, you know, he also had his opponents in the local synagogues who saw him as a threat. And the reputation that went out about him was that he was subverting Moses. He's yeah. telling Jewish people, stop doing these things, stop circumcising. And that would have been hugely offensive. Um, of course, he wasn't. He was just saying Gentiles don't have to do these things. Um, but yeah, so it, it, it also caused a lot of misunderstanding, which is why when he goes to Jerusalem at the end of his third missionary journey, um, he goes into the temple to pay for the sacrifice, and someone's like, hey, he brought Gentiles in here, and then they riot right. and, and try to beat them to death were it not for the Romans intervening. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, he, he's kind of a lightning rod of sorts. Yeah. Um, and just like anybody, I think, who's doing significant work, the possibility of being misunderstood and mischaracterized mm-hmm. um, was big. And, and, and I don't think, I do think that like the apostles were unified on the essentials of the gospels, but I do think within the early church, the Jewish, even within the Jewish church, there were division of those that were more conservative and those that were more open to Gentile inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it, it was, uh, Paul was just uniquely set up for that. Yeah. Uh, he had the grit to stand his ground. He had the knowledge to articulate his theology uh, in a way that most people could not um, refute him. Yeah. Um, and, and he had that understanding of, of people and cultures and, and, and saw how it all worked together. So he really, in a, in a way, fleshed out for us what 
has continued on right. throughout church history. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. That's cool. I, I, I love, I, I love having this conversation and like, like the book and whatnot, because I feel like it humanizes Paul. I feel like yeah. Paul can get this like superhuman status in our minds, you know, when you're, cause like when you're reading the book of Acts, you're reading the highlights, right? I mean, there's not right, like, right. Yeah, you're yeah. not hearing about the years yeah. in between of like travel or whatever. You're like, right, right. you know, these crazy things are happening. He's like, you know, bringing people back from the dead, you know, and <laughs> that sort of thing. Right. And so I think the humanity of Paul and like just the character and like his growing up and how he, how he went about, you know, doing all these things is like a really important uh, part of like seeing ourselves in that story. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Because, you know, Paul writes in his letters, Hey, uh, imitate God, but if you can't imitate me, right. Right. Follow Jesus. But if you don't, if you don't know what that looks like, follow my example. Right. And that's, that's, that's a tall order. Right. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and that either he's, he's completely self-deluded or he lives such a way that, that he was a, an example that others could pattern their life after. And so Paul really does provide us that, that example of you and I and others, we can see ourselves in that. Um, he wasn't superhuman. Uh, he, he, did have flaws and limitations, and and that's hugely encouraging um, for for me and and I think for anybody that that can realize, wait, God can use me the same way, maybe not in the exact same way. I think what made Paul unique was that he was just completely yielded to Christ, and just willing to endure whatever, and didn't you know. Uh, put up boundary lines and say, this is my comfort zone. This is what I want to do. Um, thanks God, but I got it right. Um, it was the exact opposite. Yeah, that's cool. I, I, yeah, I, I very much agree with that. I thought, so I'm, we're on a theology of hustle, right? I love talking about work and, and kind of how we view work and all that stuff. Uh -huh. I would love to, I thought it might be cool to maybe even just talk about Paul's views of work or how he like, thought about work because you talk about being a tent maker in uh in your book and and kind of how Paul traveled around do you mind sort of unpacking like what Paul's work Absolutely. life would look like yeah I'm so glad you you bring that up that was probably one of the biggest aha moments for me when I was studying his life and really digging into it um especially when it hit me um most of the time when he would do like ministry preaching and teaching was on the Sabbath mm but have been on Saturday, right? Interesting. And, and, and it wasn't until later in his, his ministry when he was kind of privately funded by various people that he did more teaching full time. So what was he doing from, you know, Sunday to Friday? Right, right. He was working, you know, perhaps in the evenings he might do some teaching, but, but basically from sun up to sundown, he is laboring. Mm. And that becomes part of his mode of operation. Uh, and it wasn't like a side job. It was right. something he would have gone into a city, probably rented a, a booth or found a place where he could set up shop. Being a tent maker meant that he could take, as long as he had his tools, he could take his job with him anywhere. Yeah. And, and so he would set up in a marketplace and, and work day and night. Uh, he talks about it in Thessalonians, and he says, 
you saw how I lived among you, how I labored night and day and toiled hard with my hands. I think Paul's hands would have been calloused and rugged. And, and, and I think he, he was a man who was well accustomed to sweat and, and, right. and really digging in. And I don't think, right, I, I, I've toyed with this. It's not a very popular opinion that I have with, with pastors, but I, I often think that maybe that's the better model for ministry, where people are working jobs right. throughout the week. And, and then, and then doing ministry, you know, as part of all of that as well. Um, and, and, and so I, I, I've advocated maybe all pastors should be bivocational. And like I said, it's not very popular. (laughs) Well, I, all the pastors at my church are bivocational, including me. So I very much am on board with this, this conversation. And that's the reason behind the whole podcast and all that stuff. But there is a great example right there of Paul. And I know there were church leaders, right? Like, uh, you know, these churches had, had leaders, but it just didn't look like the way we've sort of crafted it to look today. Right. Right. Exactly. I do think there are times where people should be full time because they have a lot of responsibilities and it needs that attention. But, but I think we've lost something when we're looking for being unengaged in the workplace. Hmm. People have trades and skill and, and, and we can see say with Paul and, and really a number of examples that, you know, I taught at a liberal arts university uh, for, for 11 years. And what I loved about that was I was training nurses, businessmen, right. uh, physical therapists, uh, English professors or English people, whatever they end up doing, teachers. And, and, and what I loved about that was the people I was, I was teaching and helping them learn what it is to know scripture and, and know, know that, that message and be able to do ministry. It, it doesn't mean you have to be employed by a church right. to do that. In fact, you're, you're going to have far greater influence by touching lives, by living that good life, by being that example, by being that person in a place where those people may never enter a church building. Right. Um, and then I think that is a, I think that's one of the things that made the early church so successful. Um, it was, it was just how they lived their life. Um, and so I, I see a lot of, of benefit and value. It's really changed my perspective over the year of saying, you know, we need to be out there in the workplace, living our faith and, and showing the gospel yeah. by how we conduct ourselves at work. Amen. I just want to clap, Alan. I mean, it's like, yes, so much. Yes. You know, uh, yeah, I think, and yeah, I think Paul's just such a cool example of that. And I think, I, I think ministry, the way that we have set it up in a lot of ways, would have just been so foreign. Like he wouldn't recognize that as part of the church. I mean, when we're talking about churches, we're not talking in the new Testament, right? When you're not talking huge places, you're talking like at a house, right? House. Just some people are yes. like showing up, right? Yes, that's yeah. exactly right. Um, you know, it's interesting. Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm still kind of exploring is um, when you go to any of these ancient sites, um, you see an abundance of temples. 
everything was associated with the temple. Yeah. I was writing an article for a dictionary on ancient Roman architecture. And one of the things that I, I found in the process was that um, when the church started moving to buildings and out of the home, they started using what was known as a basilica. Hmm. And a basilica goes back hundreds of years before that, thousands, I don't know how long, but it's early Roman. And, and, and here's what made the basilica the choice for the early church. Um, all the government buildings were associated with temple. So for example, in Rome, the treasury for the Roman Empire was in the temple of Saturn. Hmm. All of these buildings and all of these things were, were, were deeply connected with their, their, their gods and goddesses. But the early church chose a basilica. Well, the basilica, and you can see ruins of basilicas everywhere. Basilica was the only Roman building that didn't have any religious connotation. Hmm, interesting. It was it was a it was a place where people would do like banking or other business. Um, it was kind of like an open forum for people to go in and do different things. Hmm. So the early church started gathering in a basilica, and it wasn't too much later that the basilica became what a church is. Sure. And the reason I point that out is because in the earliest days, I think Paul was was saying um, we are not in these these brick and mortar buildings right we are the temple yeah and 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 that was a radically different way of thinking about what it means to be in holy space so these people they they would gather but 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 they would all contribute in the worship service but throughout the week you know they're blacksmiths and textile workers and um, bakers and and they're just living their lives and that transformed the world hmm. as common people in the workplace dedicated themselves to christ and lived according to that and it didn't take long before christianity spread like wildfire that's that's interesting i I mean, I, I, you know, have learned about the temple, the Jewish temple, right. And how, you right. know, bringing that over, but I had never considered that in like a, <clears throat> a secular space where there were right. temples for all religions. Right. And so right. Paul's not just like critiquing. I mean, he's not just like moving from the Jewish temple into like the human temple. He's like breaking down religion in the way the religion in general works. Yes. Wow. Yes. Yeah. That is, uh, that is like a new perspective on, on Paul in that, and that, you know, talking yeah. about the Holy spirit and, and the importance of the Holy spirit in, in our lives. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah. I haven't, uh, I'm still teasing a lot of that out. Hmm. Um, but it, cause I always thought, well, yeah, the Jewish temple, right. The dwelling right. place of God, but it was walking among all these ruins of these temples in the cities that Paul ministered in realizing, wait a minute even in Corinth, right, where he says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, it was a city that was just inundated with temples. Yeah. And it's really calling them out from that. Mm. And, and, and understanding what it is to worship and to find their religious identity, not in anything that's man-made. 
and it's it's and it, it's a just a different way of of seeing it. Yeah, you forget that these people are living in Corinth, and Corinth has religion everywhere, right? Everywhere, these yeah. major cities. I mean, and it would have been a huge temptation to like maybe even deviate into those temples, right? It would have been like these Gentiles are having to switch from like a life lived in temples to it was just different temples, right? Yeah. Yeah, and some of the persecution they would have experienced is not participating in those temple right. worship rituals. That would have that would have because they were inherently religious. Um, we think that like the ancient world was somehow like they had the same secular and sacred divide right. that we have today in our modern mindsets. They didn't. Everything was inherently religious. Early Christians were persecuted, according to the Roman historians on the grounds of atheism Hmm. because the reason they were so religious is the proper ordering of society and good things happening is pleasing the gods. And if you're not actively seeking to please the gods, then you could bring curse and and misfortune on, on, and then society will break down. So that was seen as a threat. So not participating and worshiping only Jesus was viewed with with suspicion. Mm. Um, And so early Christians, that would have been a huge temptation to participate, at least in a little way, so they can still fit into society. And and, um, that was some of the challenges there. Yeah, man. That's, that's good. That's, that's, that's a reframe for me in a lot of ways. I had never considered that. Huh? That's interesting. Wow. Well, uh, Alan, this has been like, we haven't even gotten into the missionary journeys or like the end of Paul's life or it's just so much. It's so much, but, um, where's the best way to kind of, you know, find you find the book, all that stuff. Okay. Well, obviously, um, you can find the book on Amazon or Baker. Um, Baker, at least when the book was released, was offering it at a um, more reduced price. I think like $13.99, whereas Amazon is like $19.99. So you can get a, a cheaper through Baker's website. Um, and then I'm, I'm at uh, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, my, my email address is abandy at nobts.edu. Um, I'm, you know, welcome emails or questions from people um beyond that you know uh anywhere you get a book you you'd probably be able to find it i would hope i love it and it's beautiful i mean the pictures in that book are just incredible uh i i have a pdf copy but like i can't even imagine just what the like you know the actual the actual book yeah. looks like, so. well it was funny because i was i was writing it and i was thinking of seeing actually seeing these places yeah. or walking on some of the roads that paul walked on and and i and if I couldn't find a picture of these locations, I included a lot of my own pictures that I've taken um, because I really wanted it to be a visual aid yeah. that, that this isn't just some ancient story and isn't it nice and isn't all great. It's like I wanted to try to bring out that real world context. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, um, I'd always just read the Bible through the lenses of my own kind of geographical settings um, yeah. and my own imagination. And when you go, it kind of reorients your, your mental map, if you will, of what these places look like, the distances between them. Um, and so I was trying to bring that out with a lot of those, uh, those pictures. Yeah. 
It's cool. I loved it. I, I, I thought it was like super helpful. Uh, so oh, it's cool. Yeah. Uh, are you ready to jump into our final two questions that work for you? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So my first question is, what is the strangest job that you have ever had? Probably the, I mean, the strangest job, and it's not all that strange, but I was a, I was a, a janitor in college. I cleaned a building uh, by myself every night for several <laughs> hours, cleaning up toilets and, and whatnot. Um, that's probably the strangest job I've had. So you were, you were solo when you did all this? Yeah. How, yeah, it was what a did building you do? on campus. It was the okay. child development center. Okay. And so, um, I, I did it by myself. It was, it was kind of a big building. Um, but it was like cleaning out all the diaper trash cans and all the toilets and, you know, little kids as they're learning aren't always very neat. <laughs> right. uh, so yeah, you know, you do anything, uh, yeah. but yeah, that was probably the, that and working in a warehouse in Memphis when I was in seminary. Um, it was just, it was ungodly hot and, um, you know, driving a, a little forklift thing around and doing loading and boxing, um, for several hours a day. Uh, it, it, it was, uh, you know, one of the things it taught me is, um, you can do anything that you need to do to make it. And, um, I kind of look back on those days I'm glad I'm not doing it anymore, but I'm thankful for what it built into me. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, yeah, I look back on my jobs in very similar ways. Yeah, I think that's, that's, yeah, it's cool. Uh, okay, so my final question then is, mm -hmm. what is one piece of advice you would give to somebody looking to bring God's kingdom more into their work? Mm. Good, that's a good question. You know, I, I think, and, and this is going to sound kind of cliche, but I, I really do think that the gospel is something that is more caught than it is taught. Hmm. And I think it's something that when people see it lived out, so one's character, the virtues that they have, the way that they interact with others, it's not so much going around telling your coworkers, well, do you know Jesus? right? It's, it's, it's being that person that others respect and value. Um, you know, I, I remember there was a, a, there's been times when there's people who were radically opposed to Christianity would come and seek me out for advice. Mm. And, and it's interesting because they're very hostile to things, but yet they recognized in me, not, not to toot my own horn or anything, but they recognized there was something different in me right. and they respected it. And I think that says a lot more than words. And so I think, you know, being very intentional about living for Christ in your workplace environment um, goes a longer way. Uh, someone once said, you are the most Bible that most people will read. Hmm. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Alan and this perspective on work. And I hope this pushes you uh, in a new way to, you know, how you think about work and, and what it means to work and do ministry. I think that's a really important thing where we understand that, that ministry isn't just isolated and one thing just sort of out there and works a different different thing, but that those two things are together. And that's how it's kind of always been in this dichotomy uh, that we find ourselves with today is, is not a one that was, is a biblical dichotomy. So I hope that pushes your thinking in some way. Uh, now's a great time to go to the bottom of your iTunes app. You can leave a rating and review for me just to help me get the word out about the show helps other people know people listen. And I always appreciate just hearing from you. So, uh, go ahead and leave me that rating and review and until next time, get out there and hustle.